Hello everyone, this is Rabbi Michael Hatton, and welcome to TanakhStudy.com. The last section of Parshat Chukat, chapter 21, verse 21, through chapter 22, verse 1, details the defeat of the mighty Amorite kings, Sichon and Og, by the people of Israel. We might divide the verses into three smaller units. In the first unit, 21 through 26, the battle against Sichon is described. In the last unit, verse 31 of chapter 21 through the first verse of chapter 22, the defeat of Og is described. In both cases, Bnei Israel were attacked. In the middle section, verses 28 through 30, the matter is described in poetry and not in prose, and it offers us a fascinating and different perspective on the events. The section begins with verse number 21. The people of Israel sent messengers to Sichon, the king of the Amorites, saying, Allow me to pass through your land. We will neither turn through the fields nor through the vineyards. We will not drink the water of the cisterns. We will go along the king's highway until we pass your borders. As with Edom earlier, Bnei Israel attempt to secure passage through the territory of Sichon. And as with Edom, the events are recounted in Sefer Devarim. It should be noted, in general, that sometimes an event in the Torah is mentioned on more than one occasion in different books of the Tanakh. By comparing these various sources, we emerge with a fuller perspective of the issue. In the Sefer Devarim version, Moshe adds critical words to his report of having sent messengers. Devarim chapter 2, verse 26. Va'eshlach malachim mimidbar kedemot. El Sichon Melech Cheshbon, Divrei Shalom Lemor. I sent messengers from the wilderness of Kedemot to Sichon, the king of Cheshbon, words of peace, and this is what I said. Eberave Arzecha, Baderech, Baderech Eilech, Lo Asur Yamin Usmol. Allow me to pass through your land. I will only go on the way. I will turn neither to the right nor to the left. Moshe describes his message as divrei shalom, as words of peace. 
And the Ramban, in a remarkable comment, in a different context, learns from this an important principle. All hostile foes, including even the Canaanites, concerning whom the Torah says, Lo kol neshama, do not allow any of them to live, all of them must be first offered the opportunity to make peace. After all, says the Ramban, Sichon is Melech Emori, the king of the Amorites, and the Amorites are one of the seven nations. The fact that Moshe sent messengers with divrei shalom, words of peace, indicates that that is the approach that must be taken with all foes, no matter what their origin. Sichon refuses. He attacks the people of Israel and he is miraculously overthrown. In that defeat, Bnei Israel acquire his land, which stretches from the Arnon to the Abok and eastern, eastwards to Bnei Amon. The text reports in verse number 24, Vayakehu Yisrael lefichareb, vayirashet arzo me'arnon ad yabok, ad b'nei amon, ki az givul b'nei amon. The people of Israel struck him down by the sword, and they possessed his land from the Arnon until the Abuk, until the Ammonites, because the border of the Ammonites was secure. Remember from our earlier discussion that Arnon is a perennial stream flowing on the eastern side of the Dead Sea, midway down its length. The Abuk, on the other hand, is another stream that flows into the Jordan River, midway between Yam HaMelach, the Dead Sea to the south, and the Kinneret to the north. Effectively, then, we might say that the territory of Sichon conquered is actually a large swath of land on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And Israel now begins to settle this territory, including the capital of Sichon, which is called Cheshbon. Of course, the process of settlement is a lengthy one. It is more fully described in Parshat Matot, after Moshe officially assigns the territory to the two and a half tribes. Chapter 32, verse 33, in Sefer Bimidbar relates, Moshe livnei Gad Moshe gave to the children of God, Reuven, and half of Menasheh, the kingdom of Sichon, king of the Amorites, and the kingdom of Og, king of the Bashan. 
the land according to its cities and their borders, all the cities of the land round about. And the text goes on to describe how these tribes built that land up, restoring cities that had been destroyed and creating places for their women and children and flocks to live. Incidentally, it should be pointed out that the biblical idiom for villages located around a city is called banot. Returning to our passage in chapter 21, verse 25 reported, Vayikach Yisrael et kol he'arim ha'ele, vayeshev Yisrael bechol arei ha'emori, the people of Israel took all of these cities. The people of Israel dwelt in all of the cities of the Amorite, in Cheshbon and in all of its banot, all of its surrounding villages. As Ibn Ezra points out, Cheshbon ke'em, v'hakifarim kabanot. In the biblical idiom, a large city is like a mother, the small villages that surround it are like daughters. And so therefore we have the first part of our section, the overthrow of Sichon, king of the Amorites, who attacked the people of Israel unprovoked and whose territory was seized by them and eventually settled, including his capital, of Cheshbon. Verse 26 continues, Ki Cheshbon ir Sichon melech ha'emorihi, v'hu nilcham b'melech mawav harishon, v'yikach et kol arzo miyado ad arnon. Because Cheshbon was the city of Sichon, king of the Amorites, and he had waged war against the first Moabite king seizing all of his land from his possession until the Arnon. And here the Torah adds a significant detail. As we pointed out earlier, but here it's emphasized and reinforced, the territory conquered from Sichon had initially been taken from the Moabites. Sichon conquered them and the people of Israel conquered Sichon. In rabbinic tradition, this allowed the territory to now be possessed by the people of Israel, in spite of the fact that Moabite lands were designated by God as off-limits. Since this Moabite territory had been conquered by Sichon, and the people of Israel conquered it from him, it therefore did not count as Moabite territory. We now come to the middle section of the passage, which is composed in poetry containing language which is not straightforward. Verse number 27 Alken Yomru Hamoshlim Bou Cheshbon Tibane Vitikonen Ir Sichon. Therefore the Moshlim say, let us come to Cheshbon. Let the city of Sichon be built and be established. 
כי אש יצאה מחשבון, להבה מקריית סיחון, אכלה ארמואב בעלי במות ארנון. Because a fire has gone forth from חשבון, a flame from the city of סיחון, it has consumed ar of the Moabites, the nobles of the high places of ארנון. Taking these two verses together, we seem to have a poetic description of Sichon's defeat of the Moabites and the seizing of their territory prior to its conquest by the people of Israel. The Moshlim, those that utter parables or Mishalim, those that compose ballads or songs, composed a song to celebrate Sichon's victory. As the Ramban pointed out earlier, this song was part of that collection known as Sefer Milchamot Hashem, the Book of the Wars of the Lord. And this is what they said, let us come to Cheshbon, which is now established and built as the capital of Sichon, since he has seized it from the Moabites. And from that capital a fire of destruction will go forth such that the Moabite territory will be consumed. Effectively, in these verses, we have a record of Sichon's crushing defeat of the Moabites. The verses continue with verse 29. 29. Oy lecha avadata am kemosh, natan banav peleitim uvenotav bashevit lemelech Emori Sichon. Woe to you, Moab! You have been destroyed, people of Kemosh. He has given his children as refugees, his sons as refugees, his daughters as captives, to the Amorite king Sichon. In this particular verse, we have a continuation of the Song of Defeat. The balladeers recount the woe that came upon Moab with the Amorite victory. Woe unto you, Moab, you have been destroyed, people of Kemosh. Kemosh is the Moabite god, the patron god of Moab. He's mentioned again in Sefer Shoftim, the book of Judges, chapter 11, verse 24, when Yiftach sends his delegation to the Ammonites, attempting to dissuade them from warfare. In the song, therefore, which is essentially a pagan con conception of the events, the defeat of Moab is synonymous with the defeat of their god, Kemosh. Kemosh must have let his children be taken in battle. And therefore, with the overthrow of Kemosh, the sons of Kemosh are refugees and the daughters are taken captive by Sichon, the Amorite king. Verse number 30 completes the poem. Vaniram, avad cheshbon ad divon, vanashim ad nofach, asher ad medeva. And Niram, Cheshbon is lost until Divon, 
and desolate until Nofach, which is close to Medeva. We seem to have a collection of Moabite place names in this verse, all of them destroyed by Sichon when he battled the Moabite king and defeated him. But there are different interpretations to the first word Vaniram, and I will mention two possible derivations. Vaniram, the Vav at the beginning of the word, is clearly a conjunction. The word Niram can either mean near Shelahem, there near, and we will have to explain what a near is, or Niram can be a first person plural verb. We shot them through. Ibn Ezra understands that this final verse is actually not the words of the balladeers, but the words of Moshe. And Moshe now reflects upon the fact that Sichon in turn has been overthrown by the Israelites. Ibn Ezra translates it according to this reading, Vaniram, and we shot them through, such that Cheshbon is lost all the way to Divon, such that desolation continues all the way to Nofach, which is near Medeva. Alternatively, the verse might be the words of Sichon, and he's describing his defeat and destruction of the Moabites. Another way to read the word Niram, near Shelahem, where near means leader or ruler. Literally, near means a yoke, and therefore near as a leader or as a ruler would mean the one who places the yoke of his leadership upon his people. In this reading, Vaniram does not mean we shot them through, but rather their ruler was lost or destroyed, the one who leads them. Once again, either referring to Sichon defeating the Moabites or the people of Israel defeating him. I would say that whatever way we read this particular verse, it's clear that this middle section is introduced in order to highlight Sichon's prowess. The Moabites were roundly defeated. Their god was cast low. The sons and daughters were taken captives and destroyed. The cities were laid waste. Sichon, in other words, was a very, very powerful victor. And the miracle, therefore, is the fact that the people of Israel were able to defeat him. The section now continues with a battle against Og, king of the Bashan. The Bashan is located to the north, north of the Sea of Kinneret. Part of it overlaps what we call today the Golan Heights. 
Verse number 33. Excuse me, verse number 31. Vayeshev Yisrael be'eretz ha'emori, the people of Israel dwelt in the land of the Amorites. Vayishlach Moshe l'ragel et yazir vayilkedu benoteha vayoresh et ha'emori asher sham. Moshe sent spies to spy out Yazir, and they captured its outlying villages and dispossessed the Amorites that were there. Of course, the sending of spies in this particular moment recalls the original story of the sending of the spies. But in our version of the story, the outcome is absolutely different. Yazir is captured and the Amorites are dispossessed. What a change in fortune compared to, to the original account of the spies. This change in fortune, this newfound Israelite power, initiative, and trust in God is now highlighted by the verses that follow as the people of Israel make their way northwards and oppose Og who attacks them. Verse 33. They turned and they ascended by way of the Bashan. Og, king of the Bashan, came out to meet them in battle, he and all of his people, at Edrei. Here, Asichon earlier attacked them unprovoked. Og now attacks the people of Israel as well. And he is a formidable foe. Verse 34. God said to Moshe, Do not fear him. Because I have given him into your hand, he and all of his people and all of his land. You shall do to him just as you did to Sichon, the king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Cheshbon. Interestingly enough, Og is introduced with a divine assurance, do not fear him, which surely indicates that he was a fear-inspiring character. Rashi quotes Amidrash. What Moshe feared was not Og, but rather the merits that Og had accrued earlier in his life. Recalling the battle that Avraham had fought against the Eastern kings in Breshit chapter 14, there was one who informed Avraham that his nephew had been taken captive and this had triggered Avraham's entry into the fray and his defeat of those kings. The text reports in Genesis 14, Vayavo ha-palit, vayaged la-avram ha-ivri. The palit, the one who had escaped from battle, came and informed Avram of what had happened to his nephew. In the Midrash of the Chachamim, this palit is none other than Og himself. And the merit 
that merit that Og accrued in informing Avram of the fate of his nephew is what now Moshe fears will stand him in good stead such that he will not be defeated by the people of Israel. Of course, this is a Midrashic reading. There is nothing in our text to indicate that Moshe fears Og's merits. There's nothing in our text to indicate that Og received merit for performing that role. Og, after all, is not mentioned explicitly in Bereshit Perik Yudalad. And to accept the Midrashic reading at face value would, of course, imply that Og must have been not only very, very powerful, but very long-lived as well. The Ramban has a slightly different version of what Moshe feared, quoting Midrash B'midbar Rabbah, he explains, Lama nit why was Moshe afraid? Because Moshe said, perhaps the people of Israel had trespassed in the war against Sichon, or somehow become tainted with iniquity, and therefore they would not be able to triumph now. Kachi yirat kol hatzadikim. This is the fear, says the Ramban, of all the righteous. The righteous never rely on their merits. They always assume that they are undeserving. And Moshe now fears Og Melech because perhaps the people of Israel have somehow compromised their merits from the time that they overthrew Sichon, the king of the Amorites. Of course, According to the Pshat, the reason to be in fear of Og is quite obvious. Once again, we turn to Sefer Devarim, where Moshe recalls Og's mighty stature. The land of Og was the land of the Bashan. Chapter 3, verse 11 in Sefer Devarim relates that only Og, the king of the Bashan, survived from all of the Rifaim, an ancient race of primeval giants. Hine arso eres barzel, halohi berabat bnei amon, teisha amot oroka ve'arba amot rochba be'amatish. Og's bed was a bed made out of iron. Behold, it is in Rabat b'nei Amon. Nine cubits in length and four cubits in width by the cubit of a man. What Moshe recalls, of course, is Og's giant stature. In ancient times, most people did not have beds of iron. Iron was a very, very precious metal reserved for warfare. A bed was made out of a wooden frame that was perhaps woven with ropes and perhaps even things more modest than that. But the fact that Og had an iron bed meant that he was a heavy man. And the dimensions of that bed were superhuman. Nine cubits in length, four cubits in width where a cubit is somewhere between one and a half and two feet. 
In other words, the reason why Moshe feared Og was because Og was an overwhelming giant. And the land of Og, the land of the Bashan, is a rugged and mountainous landscape. It is crowned by the snow-capped Mount Hermon. And the people that live in that landscape, presumably, are as powerful as the landscape in which they live. Nevertheless, Og was defeated. Verse 35, They struck him down and his children and all of his people until not a survivor was left, and they possessed his land. The people of Israel traveled and they encamped at the plains of Moab opposite the Jordan River at Jericho. Summarizing the geographic data, Bnei Israel were now in possession of the lands east of the Jordan River from the Arnon in the south until the Hermon in the north. As we know, the territory would eventually be settled by the two and a half tribes, Reuven in the south, Menashe in the north, and Gad in between. But this isn't a story about geography. This is a story about spirit. The conquest of this territory by the people of Israel constituted a miraculous moment as they overcame much more powerful foes and defeated them. This moment was recorded for posterity as one of God's great victories in Sefer Tehillim, in a passage that many of us are familiar with. Chapter 136, the great song of thanksgiving Express gratitude to God for he is good, for his compassion endures forever. After describing God who creates heaven and earth, the luminaries, the land and the sea, after recounting the exodus from Egypt and God's miraculous signs and wonders, after speaking of the travails as the people of Israel made their way through the Midbar, through the wilderness, we arrive at verse number 17. To the one who struck down the great kings, his mercy endures forever. He killed the mighty monarchs, his mercy endures forever. Lesichon melacha emori, ki leolam chasto, ulaog melacha bashan, ki leolam chasto. That would be Sichon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. Venatan arzam le nachala, ki leolam chasto, nachala le Yisrael avdo, ki leolam chasto. He gave their land as an inheritance. His mercy endures forever an inheritance to his people, Israel, his servant. His mercy endures forever. The song tellingly concludes, 
שבשפלנו זכר לנו כי לעולם חסדו. In our שפלות, or lowliness, he remembered us, his mercy endures forever. ויפרקנו מצרנו, and he redeemed us from our foes, for his mercy endures forever. He gives food to all flesh, his mercy endures forever. Praise be to the Lord of the heavens, his mercy endures forever. In this passage, the victory over Sichon and Og isn't simply an expression of God's prowess and God's mercy, but also our change in fortune. We were low down and he raised us up. We were weak and he made us strong. This sentiment is most powerfully expressed in a fantastic midrash in the Gemara in Masechet Brachot. At first glance, the Midrash seems unbelievable, but a deeper reading indicates that in fact it captures the essence of our story. The Mishnah in the ninth chapter of Brachot relates, If a person comes across a place where miracles were wrought for the people of Israel, he must bless God at that moment, among these places, the Gemara goes on to list the following. Evan, Shibikesh Og Melech Habashan, Lizrok al Yisrael. Such a place would be the location of the stone that Og, the king of Bashan, sought to throw upon the people of Israel. The Gemara goes on to describe how Og realized the size of the encampment of Israel to be three Persian miles by three Persian miles. He therefore picked up a mountain of that size and prepared to throw it upon them in order to kill them. As he picked up the mountain and suspended it on his head, God brought upon him Kamtse, and those Kamtse chewed a hole through the rock such that the rock came crashing down over his head and lodged itself on his neck and his teeth, his fangs, I suppose, extended in either direction, lahaigisa u lahaigisa, such that he could not remove the rock from his neck. And in that way he was defeated. So effectively, says the Gemara, Og's overthrow was miraculous. He picks up a giant mountain because he is a giant. And he prepares to throw it on the people of Israel to make an end of them. And suddenly God intervenes. And the intervention takes the form of Kamtse. Rashi translates the term as Nimalim, as ants. That these little insects quickly chew their way through the rock. And now the rock comes down on Og's head, his teeth are extended, and it's locked in place. I'd like to point out, though, that in the original Gemara, the word that Rashi translates as Nimalim is actually Kamtse. And presumably Rashi was translating the term more generically. But if we translate it specifically, 
kamtse are actually grasshoppers. What we might have, therefore, in this Midrash is a deliberate echo of another story and a key to understanding the significance of the victory over Sichon and Og. Recall that when the spies returned from spying out the land some 38 years earlier, they concluded their defeatist report by reporting Visham Ra'inu Et hanifilim anak min hanifilim. When we were there, we saw the giants, the nifilim. In our own eyes at that moment, we felt like grasshoppers, and so we were in their eyes as well. And therefore, the spies essentially report that what they saw in the land was a land inhabited by giants, giants against whom they didn't stand a chance because they were simply grasshoppers. This perhaps is the key to understanding the Midrash of the rabbis. In this Midrash, it's none other than the grasshoppers that chew through the rock such that the giant Og is defeated. Effectively, what the rabbis are saying is the true miracle of the story is that the people of Israel, who had earlier regarded themselves as weak and incapable of fighting the inhabitants of the land, grasshoppers compared to giants, were now able to prevail in spite of that fact because they trusted in God. The only thing that changed in the story was that they trusted in God. The land was still inhabited by giants, as exemplified by Og, and they were still grasshoppers compared to them. But this time, God brought those grasshoppers and they managed to chew through that rock such that Og was overthrown. That effectively is the essential message of this particular section. 38 years have elapsed. And in the course of that 38 years, the people of Israel have grown in their trust and in their self-reliance and in their self-worth, such that they are now prepared to encounter the giants and defeat them.